Well, in the early 1930s, there was a couple, uh, Ted and Dorothy. They, they lived in South Dakota, and uh, they, were, they were trying to figure out what was next in life for them. And as they were trying to figure that out, they were trying to figure out moving and where they would go, and they, they found this spot in Wall, South Dakota. Wall, South Dakota. The population in Wall, South Dakota was 231 people. Um, they had this idea of starting a business in Wall, South Dakota, uh, which is difficult to do anywhere, much less a town of 231 people. Uh, they go there and they investigate it and they find a drugstore that is for sale in Wall, South Dakota, and they think, this is it. This is the business we're going to take on. Uh, we're going to buy it. And everyone told them they were crazy. Uh, family, friends, everyone tried to talk them out of moving to Wall, South Dakota and starting a business. And they decided as a couple they would give it five years. Uh, we'll work on this business for five years. If it hasn't gotten to the place where we want it to be in five years, we'll give up on it. We'll go a different direction. So in 1936, it had been five years and things had not picked up. Um, Dorothy decides she's going to take her kids home and they're, they're going to take a nap. And, and Ted remains at uh, the, the drugstore. Dorothy comes back quickly and says, I have an idea. I have an idea to get people into our drugstore. And see, what was happening is there was a highway that had been built leading to Mount Rushmore. Uh, Mount Rushmore at this time was about halfway to completion. And there were lots of people going to Mount Rushmore, but, Mount Rushmore, but they could not get them into their store. And Dorothy says, I have an idea, free ice water, free ice water. And so in 1936, Ted and Dorothy began giving out free ice water and car after car began showing up. They, they would come and they would get free ice water and they would decide to buy an ice cream cone. They would buy a few other things. Today, they have over 2 million visitors that come to Wall Drug. Has anyone ever been to Wall Drug? Wow, yeah, in, in, in South Dakota. In the summer months, there's 20,000 plus people who will go to Wall Drug. And it all started with two people who said, this is where we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And when it wasn't easy, they didn't give up. Uh, they, they began to think, what could we do? And Dorothy comes up with the idea. You see these signs, uh, they're, they're all over up in uh, that area uh, uh, leading to, uh, to Wall South. People post pictures from all over the world saying how far it is to Wall Drug. There was a group of people who said, don't do it. Um, Ted, the, the owner, died not too long ago at the age of 96. And before he died, this is what he said. He said, there are no God-forsaken places. There are no God-forsaken places. Wherever you are, you can reach out to people in need. Right? So honestly, they, they did this as a business endeavor. Right? They want to make money. They want to take care of their family. But they also believed in this community. You can read a lot about what they did and why they were there, but they believed in it. And instead of giving up, instead of moving on, they did something that actually benefited others. We're in the series called For the Life of the World. And what we're looking at is, well, what does it mean not just to, to be in right relationship with God, what, not just what does it mean to be saved, uh, to be rescued and forgiven of our sins, uh, but, but what does it mean to, to experience that for the life of the world? That it's not just personal. This is important. That your relationship with God is not just personal. We, we talk about that often, my personal relationship with God, and that is important. But your relationship with God was never meant to do on your own. It's always been meant to be done in community. 
and, and to be done in such a way where it doesn't just benefit you, but it benefits other people. Uh, the Israelites, they're, they're finally in the, the promised land, and now they're going to be sent off into captivity. Um, and, and this, in Jeremiah 29, there's instruction that's given to them, and this is the basis of this whole series. Let me read it to you in Jeremiah 29. If you don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. That's our gift to you. Please take that. Uh, you can have it. And they'll also be on the screen, Jeremiah 29. It says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper saying, look, I know you're not where you want to be, but you're going to be there for a long time. 70 years is how long they ended up being there. And the instruction for them is to make this their home. They, they weren't where they wanted to be, but, but they were where God had placed them. And they were there on purpose. And God says, while you're there, this is what I want you to do. Uh, many people smarter than me says there's often three responses uh, to, to how we deal with culture. Uh, we isolate ourselves from it. We don't like what's going on, and so we kind of fortify ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from those people, and so we hide from it. Uh, or we fight, and we talk about culture wars, and we have to win, and we fight against it, or we blend in. We, we just look like people who, who don't have faith. We look like people who aren't followers of Jesus. But the instruction here is much different. He's saying, you're, you're going to make this your home. You, you are going to be fully engaged where you are. Uh, you're going to contribute. Uh, you're going to live a distinct life where other people see you and wonder, what do they have? And in doing this, your community will find peace and prosper. And so we've looked at the practical parts of this. What does this look like for our family? What does this look like for work? And last week, we looked at the idea of justice. When things get out of order in our community, what role do we play? Uh, today, we're going to look at this idea of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. What, what's it for? We live in an amazing time in our world right now. Uh, we, we have at our fingertips access really to anything we want to know. Yeah. Right? One, one of my favorite things my kids say is Google it. Yeah. Right? We're in the car. They have a question. That the, and I'm like, I don't know. The, the response always is well, just Google it. Google knows everything. Google it. And so that, that is the, the thing we often do the most. And not only can I Google it, but I don't have to wait till I get to a computer. I just pull a computer out of my pocket with my phone and I Google it and I, I give them the answer. Like parents who did this before you had Google, I don't know how you did it, right? It was either lots of lies, lots of pretending you knew answers to things. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just say, I don't know. They say, Google it and we find out the information. There is so much information that we have access to. We are not lacking in knowledge of anything. If you want to know something, you can find out about it. And actually, it's not that much different with access to the scriptures, access to what God has for us. There's an app. This is unbelievable. There's an app that has been downloaded 200 million times, and that's probably out of date. 200 million times the Bible has been put on someone's phone. Right? It wasn't that long ago, really. It wasn't that long ago that, that people didn't have access to the Bible at all. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is the most stolen book. Did you know that? You don't have to worry about that anymore. 
the, the knowledge of God is there for everyone. Uh, podcasts, sermons, spiritual teachings, you have access to so much. There is not a lack of knowledge of who God is. It is at our fingertips. So if you want to know about the Bible, if you want to know about God, I, I would encourage you not to just ask anyone or search anywhere. You might Google it and not get truth. Let me help my young people. Google isn't always true. Um, so just be aware. Just because you read it on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Um, but, but for the most part, you have access to so much spiritual knowledge. And the question is, what do we do with it? We have access to it. We can read it. We can hear People teach about it, but so what? So what? Uh, knowledge, if you just look at the, uh, the definition of it, it's just facts. It's ideas acquired through personal study. It's research. It's investigation. It's observation. It's experience. That, that all gives us knowledge. But what is wisdom? What is wisdom? What wisdom is implementing those things. Wisdom is discerning what is right and what is true and what is good. I didn't grow up in church, and so a lot of you, you've had this information in your head forever. You, know, you probably know more about the Bible than I do, to be honest. You've had information, you had caravans, you memorized scripture, maybe you were into to, to Bible quizzing. You've heard hundreds of sermons preached. You have so much information but what has to happen for that information that has gone into our, our lives to actually come out? What does it matter? I know that's not true for all of you. Some of you are learning about God and what that means. Uh, some of you, I remember when I first started going to church, and I've shared this before, I never wanted to pick up a Bible because I didn't know the books of the Bible. And so I didn't want to have to look in the table of contents and then everyone see that I didn't know where the books of the Bible are. That's why we put page numbers up. right? We understand that, that for many of us, this is new so we have people who have little information but have access to lots of information. We have many of you, there may not be a sermon you haven't heard preached. Right? You might be thinking, well, I've heard that one before. Or I've heard that scripture taught about over and over and over. But what do we do with what we know? What is it for? If you're taking notes, I want to ask you a question. Maybe you want to write this down. Uh, how does knowledge, specifically spiritual knowledge, how does knowledge practically impact or change my life and the life of the world? Let me say it again. How does knowledge practically impact or change my life and the life of the world? You, you've probably heard the quote, knowledge is power. How, I, don't, I don't fully agree. I don't think knowledge is anything if it's not put into practice. We can know things, but if it doesn't come out in our lives, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Eugene Peterson, who translated uh, the, the Bible into what's called the message, uh, he says wisdom is this. It's lived out knowledge. Wisdom is lived out knowledge or knowledge in action. You've heard people, and if you're uh, here today and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm just trying to figure this out, I bet almost every one of us has made the statement, I just want to make a wise decision I just want to make a, I want to choose what's best for my future and, and choosing a spouse and choosing a, a, a college and choosing a career. I just want to make a wise decision. And what we're saying is I want to take all the knowledge that's been input into my life, everything I've understood about life, everything I've learned, everything I've experienced, 
and I want to put that into practice. So we want to move from knowledge to wisdom. Knowledge is sitting in premarital counseling, one of my favorite things to do, and to talk with couples before they're married about conflict. I give them lots of of knowledge about what that's going to look like. But what happens is it doesn't become wisdom until they are married and now they're in a house together and they're like, what did Kyle say I'm supposed to do when you say something like that, right? That becomes wisdom, right? Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. So knowledge is good. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Learn a lot. But we have to take what we know and put it into practice. So we're not just about being smart, but about being wise. Not just making smart decisions, but making wise decisions. If we look at this spiritually, we'll we'll understand a little more what that means in just a few moments. I have to ask my son often, uh, was that wise? (laughs) Right? Was that wise? Not 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 what were you thinking, which I want to say often, uh, but was that decision wise? What I'm saying is everything you know, right? Even at a young age, everything you know, was that the wise decision to make? And for us, as adults, as young adults, still as more as experienced as my teenagers, we have to figure out what it means to live wise lives. And here's why. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about this, and he's very clear about what it looks like if we're wise or if we're foolish. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, really the only time we have a large teaching from Jesus, uh, he tells a lot of information. He talks about what it looks like to love your enemies. He talks about how to pray. He talks about if you're going to give, give in this way. There's all kinds of things that Jesus talks about. He talks about lust and adultery. There's a lot of information that Jesus gives out. And then this is how he ends in Matthew 7, 24. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. You could hear this, and you could think that, that it's just about knowing who the rock is. Right? You could read the scripture, and you could just say, I know where I want to build my foundation. The, the foundation is Jesus, and that is true. But Jesus makes it very clear. Everything I've just told you, everything I've just said, it means nothing. You are not wise until you put them into practice. And when the storms come, you'll be able to withstand anything. And the foolish one who who hears it, who has the knowledge, but doesn't put it into practice, when difficult things come, when when hard times come up in your life, it falls. Because you've not put into practice what Jesus has said. He just finished preaching and he basically says, none of that matters. All the information I just gave you is simply information until you put it into practice. James, the half-brother of Jesus, James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let me put that in another way. Don't, Don't just open your Bible 
and check the box off that you had a devotional that morning if it doesn't get implemented in your life later that day. Uh, don't, don't come and gather on Sundays uh, in a Sunday school class and hear whether I'm teaching or someone else and hear a bunch of stuff and then go out and not put it into practice. Because if you do, you're just deceiving yourself. That The goal of the scriptures is not information, but transformation. The goal is not just to get a bunch of knowledge, but to implement it in our lives and to be wise. There's a guy named Solomon, 2 Chronicles 1, 6 through 12. Uh, Solomon was a very wealthy, rich man, wrote a lot of the Proverbs. Some of you know this story. Uh, verse 6, this is this. Uh, he had just set up um, where he's at in his kingdom, and he's, he's, things are going well, and he's going to make some sacrifices. Verse 6, it says, Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. He gives back to God. He's making a sacrifice to, to God. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, let's just hit pause. I don't know what you would answer. I mean, my first thought is more wishes, right? That's, the, uh, that's always the, the tricky one. If you're going to give me one thing, can I ask for more things, right? Is it power? Is it wealth? Is it prestige? Is it a spouse? What is it that you ask for? Because I have to just be honest. I, I don't know if I would have gone the route Solomon did immediately. But, but Solomon knows the importance of what he's going to ask God for. Verse 8, Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, or riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth and riches and honor, such as no king who was, who was before you ever had and none after you will have. It's interesting here. Solomon is saying, I want wisdom and knowledge, not even just for myself. I, I want to be a wise king because I think it will benefit the people I am governing, the people I am leading. I want knowledge. I want information of what it looks like to be a king. But make me wise. Give me wisdom. Help me lead people well. And God's response is, yes, I'll, I'll give that to you. And in giving you that, it is going to go well for you. Others and yourself are going to benefit because of your wisdom. Um, now, I want to look at some just really practical things. We're going to look at a scripture in James. Um, but I kind of want some, some good news and, and bad news. Um, there's a smart and a good way to live life. There is a way that God has kind of set up for us, that when we stay close to that path, uh, not that life will be perfect, but, but things will often go well. The things we have the control over will go well. But there's also a, a dumb way to live. There's a dumb way to live life. And if you're like me, we often find ourselves in that category. Right? We often find ourselves asking the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did my relationships end up in this place? How did my kids get here? How did I get here? And if we're honest with one another, it usually comes down to some of the decisions that we've made. 
Now, there are bad things that happen to us. There are things out of our control. I acknowledge that. But for many of us, it comes down to the decisions and the choices that we have made that were unwise. I was 16, and my buddies had started driving, and I wasn't driving yet, but my buddy, who we called Ferg, uh, was driving an old Bronco, and it was one of them that were kind of tall, and it had the really thin tires. And uh, we were doing what teenagers do, and just driving around, and we had this little altercation uh, with these guys. Um, and, and let me say this, I think my daughter's not in here, so that's good. Um, I, was, uh, I was sitting in the back of the Bronco, where there's no seatbelt, there's no seat. Uh, I'm sitting back there, we have three guys in the middle seat, and a driver and a passenger. It seats four with four seatbelts. Horrible decisions. Right there, dumb decision. Uh, second decision, uh, some of my friends making statements to people in another car. Dumb decision. Uh, they begin to follow us, and we have somewhat of a little chase. And, and my buddy, who is not a very experienced driver, takes a corner going too fast and, and tips this Bronco into one of the main intersections where, where we lived. And I remember laying in the back of this Bronco just thinking, this was dumb, this was dumb, this was dumb. And we get out, we have to crawl out the top, the, the passenger window, in the middle of this intersection, we crawl out. Uh, people come and they help us put the Bronco back up on four wheels and we drive off. And I remember sitting in the passenger seat with my buddy, Ferg still driving, saying, my parents are going to kill me, right? My parents are going to kill me. Now, here's the deal. That wasn't just an accident, right? There were lots of decisions that got us to that point. Lots of dumb decisions. Teenagers... We make dumb decisions when we're teenagers. But we do when we're adults also. And oftentimes as we look back in life and we see where we are, we think, man, that was a dumb decision. I didn't use the information or knowledge that I had to make a wise move. I am not putting into practice what I think God wants me to do. The spiritual knowledge, the understanding I know of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus... The, the, the information I know about living in God's kingdom, the way he wants us to live, I'm not doing that. And when we don't do that, we see the consequences. Yeah. Not just for ourselves, but honestly for the life of the world. And this happens for a lot of reasons. I think we know better. We think we know better. Uh, God, I'll give you every area of my life that you know about that and you know about that. But this area, I think I might know a little more. So we make decisions based on our own understanding and our own knowledge instead of seeking God. We aren't willing to do the hard work. We give up. We allow others to pressure us. We get information from the wrong sources. The voices around us are louder than the voice of God. And in doing that, we are unwise. Listen to this in Proverbs 8, Solomon, who was asking for wisdom, there's a whole chapter where he, he talks about wisdom, and, and I would encourage you to go back and read it, Proverbs 8. Uh, but it ends like this. Now then, my sons, listen to me. And this is wisdom speaking. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life, and whoever receives favor from the Lord. 
But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. And there's something about beginning to love wisdom. To pursue not just information, but to pursue knowledge and information and put it into practice. To ask God, what, what should I do? God, would you speak to me? Speak to me through someone. Speak to me through the scriptures. What should I do? How do I put this into practice in my life? And when we do that, when we find wisdom, we find life. But when we don't pursue it, when we want nothing to do with it, it harms ourselves. And it says, whoever hates wisdom, whoever hates what is right, whoever hates doing what we're supposed to do actually loves death. All right, quickly, we're going to look at James 3. We're going to look at kind of what comes out of wisdom, uh, right wisdom versus foolish wisdom. Uh, James in this section, it's going to almost be like an MRI. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI. Uh, It dives deep. It's going to point out everything that's wrong. Uh, It's going to say what's needed. All right. And this is what this passage is going to do for us. James 3, 13 through 18. It says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Who's wise? Who, who lives by false wisdom? Well, it says it'll be evident by your good life. Now, that doesn't mean good how we often think about it. This word actually means beautiful or genuine or praiseworthy. Those who are wise live those kind of lives that we look at them and we think, man, how have they gotten to where they are? And sometimes it's God-given talent and sometimes it's luck, but oftentimes it's them putting into practice what they know to be wise in their lives, their relationships, their mission. It's genuine. It's beautiful. It's praiseworthy. But what is false wisdom? Three things really quickly. It's earthly. What I think they mean by that is it only considers ourselves. It doesn't consider what God wants for us. False wisdom, taking information and not putting it into practice says, well, what do I want to do here? What's best for me in this situation? How will this impact me? It's my money. It's my time. It's my energy. I'll do with it what I want. It's unspiritual. It doesn't depend on the leading of God. We make decisions. We say things. We do things without asking God what is best. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this this really is how one lives their lives when when we don't understand the relationship with God. God has not abandoned us. He has not walked away from us. He is near to us. And in being near to us, he wants to give us not only knowledge of how to live life, but how to be wise. And so it's unspiritual. It's about satisfying our appetites and our desires. This is, if you've ever heard the phrase, immediate gratification. I want it now. I want it when I want it. and, And nothing will stop me. This is the the definition of children, right? Children uh, are not usually wise, young kids. They don't understand what the future looks like. They they think they want something, 
They have a need or a desire. All you have to do, I'll, I'll give you a little thing. You check with the school, but uh, go and watch elementary kids eat their lunch. If they're at home, and I know my kids do this at well, you eat certain things in order. Dessert does not come first because we know as parents what my kids need. You go watch kindergartners, first graders, even second graders. It's the uh, Swiss cake rolls. It's uh, whatever the sweet is. They eat it first because they want it. And they're not going to wait for it. So for us, often this false wisdom is just saying, well, what do I want to do? What, what do I want for me? What are my needs and desires? And I'm not going to suppress those. I'm not going to push those aside. I, I want to fulfill those things. It's unwise. And then the last one, and this feels very strong, but demonic. It says it's of the devil. And what I think they mean by this is earlier in scripture, they talk about the devil being the father of lies. The father of lies. That Lying is the, the native language of the enemy of God. And so oftentimes when it's false wisdom, when we're not doing what God would want us to do, it's often because we're believing lies. That God just wants me to be happy. That, that God doesn't want to not give me everything that I want. We, we believe the lies of the enemy. And so this kind of wisdom comes from evil and selfish ambition. This kind of wisdom leads to disorder. It's what we looked at last week. It leads to injustice. It doesn't benefit us, and it doesn't benefit other people. So two quick questions I want you to, to work through on your own. Uh, where are you seeking wisdom? Uh, how are you figuring out how to live life? Uh, is it through God's word? Because we see in, 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 Ma in Matthew 7, Jesus' teaching, it begins and ends with God's instructions. Wisdom comes when we implement what we have heard from God. Uh, two, how can you begin to implement the knowledge you have? Some of you have so much spiritual knowledge, so much spiritual understanding, and that's good. How can you begin to implement some of those things where you're maybe not? How can you live as someone who is wise? Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, in what area has truth, information, understanding not been put into practice? And where are you failing for it to benefit you and those around you. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, because the church plays a role in this. Eugene Peterson says, the church is the workshop for turning knowledge into wisdom, becoming what we know. Let me say that again. The church is the workshop for turning knowledge into wisdom, becoming what we know. And when he says church, it's not meaning a building, it, it's meaning our community. How do we take what we know and implement it in our lives? Well, it's by challenging one another. It's by having difficult conversations. It's by being in relationships where we say and we ask the hard questions. What, what, what area in your life are you trying to make a wise decision? This doesn't happen on our own as I started in the beginning. That if we wanna be wise, it happens in community. It's the role of the church to encourage and to challenge one another, to spur one another on to good works but it is a place where we get information and we hear lots of information and we ask the difficult question, how do I implement this in my life? What does it actually mean not to just have information about loving God and loving people, but how do I actually do that? How do I love God more? How do I love my neighbor more? We figure that out in community. 
See, the temptation is to speak poorly about our community, whether it's as a church or the outside community. The decisions other make, right? We can point, look how bad things are. Why are people not making good decisions? Or we can ask the question, how am I being wise? How am I implementing what I know about God and how is it changing where I live? How are people better because I am a wise person? Well, Greg's going to come up and close uh, our song with our, our song here. And, and this is one of those things that's tricky for me because uh, I give you a bunch of information every week. Right? I study, I, I pour into uh, my, my mind and my heart all kinds of information. And then on Sundays, I, I give it to you. But, but what I'm trying to figure out in my own life is, is how do I do it? Right? This is for me too. How do I not just talk about it, but, but how do I do it? How do I live? wise. So my hope is every Sunday, not just today, I want you to ask two questions when you walk away from this place every week. What was God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? And so I hope this morning you'll spend a little bit of time asking that question. What's God saying to me about all the knowledge, everything spiritual I know? What does he want me to do about it? Would you stand as I pray? God, thanks for today. Thanks for an opportunity uh, to uh, pour more knowledge into our, our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to read scripture. But, but Lord, as I, I often pray, as we leave this place, let us not be the same as when we entered. Help us to understand to be wise people means to seek you and to put into practice what you would have for our lives. God, would we not just say we want to know you? Would we not just say we want to love people? But God, would we be wise and put into practice how you've told us to do that? God, thanks for your patience when we aren't wise. Thanks for your patience when we do our own thing. But God, would you help us? Help us to be people who are wise. It will benefit us. And I know, Lord, it will benefit those around us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.